Last week, uh, we began a new teaching series, teaching through the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and I hope that last week you, I convinced you that Nehemiah wasn't just some boring book stuck in the middle of the Old Testament, but it's something that has a great deal to teach us. And we're calling this series Rebuild. And the reason we're calling it this is because all of us have seasons in our lives where we have to rebuild something that is broken or something that is wounded or hurting, whether it's a marriage that we want to rebuild, whether it is a relationship we want to rebuild, whether it's our career or our finances, our health, or even our spiritual lives. We all have seasons where we need to rebuild our spiritual lives and rebuild our faith. And I know that after 16 months of COVID, I think we all have something we're looking to rebuild right now. We're, re, we're looking to rebuild our lives after the losing people we love. We're looking to rebuild our lives after just the weirdest 16 months of our lives. And so how do we rebuild? And does the Bible have any wisdom for us when we're rebuilding our lives? You know, Peter says, and I believe it's Second Peter, he says that the Scriptures are able to teach and rebuke, and they are good for training in all wisdom. And Peter, when he was talking about the Scriptures, he was referring to the Old Testament. Peter himself, the, I mean, the best friend of Jesus and the, the founder, uh, you know, one of the first uh, apostles of the church, he says that there is wisdom to be found for our lives in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament in particular. We're going to dig around and we're going to find that. There is wisdom in Nehemiah for those of us who are looking to rebuild our lives. And our church is in a rebuilding season. We talked about this last week. We're rebuilding after Several people in our church moved away. Some people in our church passed away, and some people in our church have drifted away. And we're in a season where we are trying to rebuild what God wants to do in our church. And I believe that by the power of the Spirit that we will see that happen. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm not really rebuilding anything. I've just been, I've just desired to build a meaningful life. I want to live a life that honors and empowers God, or honors God and empowers others. The book of Nehemiah is for you as well. This is a book about building and rebuilding with the power and the wisdom of God. And last week, we talked about how if you want to rebuild something, you have to first admit that it's broken. You have to accept reality when something is broken. That's the first step in rebuilding. Admit that the problem is there. Admit that the walls have fallen. Well, today, we're going to look at the next step in rebuilding, and that's the process of getting to work. Because we have to get to work at some point if we're going to rebuild what has been broken. And so we left off last week. Nehemiah, is, uh, he, he's living in Persia. He works for the king of Persia, but he is an Israelite, and his people are in Jerusalem. And he gets word, he gets a message from his brother. His brother says, the people in the city, the city's in shambles. The people are in shame. God's name is being mocked. And we are in great shame. Our people are in great shame. The city is destroyed. Our borders are not secure. Our culture is being lost. Our spiritual lives are a mess. Politically, culturally, economically, and spiritually, Nehemiah's brother says, the people of Israel, we're in big trouble. And this really bothers, this really burdens Nehemiah. And he begins to weep, and he begins to grieve, but then he takes his burden and his grief and his discontent, and he channels it into a passionate prayer. He doesn't just feel bad for what's happened, but he does something about it. He channels his burden into prayer. 
In the end of his prayer, he says this. This is chapter 1, verse 11. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. So he's talking about himself in the third person here. If you're like, who's your servant? He's talking about himself. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to my prayer and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give me success today and grant me mercy in the sight of this man. He's referring to the king of Persia. He says, no, I was the cupbearer to the king. First step we need to take in getting to work, in rebuilding broken parts of our lives, you've got to make yourself available to be used by God. That's the first step in any rebuilding process. Nehemiah, he gets word of Jerusalem's plight. It burdens him. He grieves and he weeps, but he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm living in Persia. I'm living, I'm, I'm, I'm in the king's palace. I've got a good deal. My people are struggling, but you know what? Not my problem. Maybe someone else will take care of it. You know, change the channel. Nehemiah says, no, no, no. I am burdened by this. He begins to weep. He begins to pray. And as he prays, we notice that Nehemiah opens himself up for God to call him to do something about the problems his people are facing. And God does indeed call Nehemiah to do something. So here's what I want you to see this afternoon is that when God burdens you with something, if you have a burden on your heart for something, whether it's a justice issue, whether it's poverty, or whether it's some crisis in the world, or some need in our church, or in our community, or in the lives of someone in your building, or in our neighborhood, when you, are, when you feel that thing in your heart burdened for something, do not brush that off. Take that burden channel that burden into prayer, but as you pray and ask God to do something about it, ask God, are you calling me to do something about this? And as you pray, would you open up your hands and would you open up your lives and open up yourself to say, as you pray, if God calls you to be the answer to your prayer, would you be willing to go? One of the things I've found in my life and in the lives of others, the privilege of being a pastor is to get to watch the spiritual lives of others up close. But one of the things I've found is that when God gives someone a burden and they commit to praying for it, very often God will call that person to be the answer to their own prayer. So when somebody says, man, I just, I heard that there's 146 million orphans in the world and that burdens me. I can almost guarantee you that when somebody is burdened by that and they begin praying for it, and they begin praying for the 146 million orphans in the world, almost every time, God's going to call that family, that person to adopt or to foster or to support families who are adopting or fostering. You see how that works. When we pray for a burden, God often calls us to be the answer to our own prayer. And here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to be that person who sees a burden in the world or in our community, you complain about it, you have an opinion about it, and then you demand that somebody else do something about it. There are too many people like that in this world, and the people of God aren't called to be like that. The people of God are called to take our burdens, the, the burdens that God places on us, we're called to pray them back to God, and then we're called to do, be a part of the solution by the Spirit of God. So my dad is a super generous guy. Uh, super, I love my dad, love my parents, they're amazing. My dad is very generous. He's a dentist, actually. And I can't tell you how many times that my dad, I've heard my dad talk about how 
you know, he had a patient come in the office. He could tell that maybe that patient didn't have the means to pay for an expensive procedure, but, you know, they, ha- they just had a lot of needs in their, with their teeth, and he wanted to bless them. And so you know, my, it's very common for my dad to say, you know what, the Holy Spirit told me just to give that person this procedure at, at my own expense. It's a common thing for my dad to provide services for people. That's it, God calls him to do that very often. He's gone on overseas mission trips to provide dental care in places of poverty. I say all that to say I have to set this story up by saying my dad is a super generous guy. But one of the things he says that's most frustrating to him, and he says this happens all the time, he said somebody will come to him and they'll say, Dr. McGee, Oh, I have this friend in my Sunday school class, <laughs> or I have this friend at work, and they just need dental work so bad, and they can't afford it. And you know what? God has burdened my heart for this person. I was just wondering, would you do this procedure for free for them? <laughs> and my dad's like, that's expensive, you know, and he'll often say, wow, it really sounds like God has burdened you for your friend. That is amazing. And like I said, my dad's a generous guy. He'll say, often say, you know what, I'm happy to provide a discount, or you know what, I'm happy to provide my time for free. But maybe you can gather your Sunday school class and your friends, and they can, you guys can together pull the money together so that you can pay for the supplies it's going to cost to do this procedure, and you can pay for my staff's time because it's going to be very expensive. And he says almost often, almost always, they'll mumble something, and then they'll leave because they wanted it to be his burden when God was the one that he burdened them with that. So you guys, have you read in Isaiah chapter 6, when uh, God says to Isaiah, he says, I want to send someone to preach, I want to send someone to proclaim that I am God among the nations. And God says, who will go for me and whom shall I send? And there's this amazing passage where the prophet Isaiah, he's like, me, 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 I will go, send me, here I am, God, send me. Do you know how lame that Isaiah chapter 6 would be if Isaiah, if God was like, who shall I send and who will go? And Isaiah was like, here I am, God, send someone else. But often that's what we do with our prayers, isn't it? We feel burdened for something and we go, God, would you do something about it? God, would you send somebody to do something about it? But I'm here, I, I just want to challenge you today. If God has burdened you with something or someone, Have you considered that God, the Holy Spirit himself, has placed that burden on your heart because he wants to call you to be the one who does something about it? And what you'll find is that when you commit to praying for something, God will often call you to be the answer to your own prayer by his power. That's what happened with Nehemiah. He began praying for his people, and by the end of his prayer, he's like, okay, God, I think you're calling me to do this. I'm going to do something about it. God, would you give me success as I go about rebuilding the walls of my city and restoring the lives of my people? He takes a burden that God gives him. He begs for God to move, and he asks God to use him. He's not content to pass off the burdens onto other people. You see, the rebuilding of your life or the world around you requires that you take the burdens that God has put on your life and on your heart and you make them your responsibility. Your marriage is your responsibility. Your finances are your responsibility. Your health is your responsibility. Your career is your responsibility. Your church is your pastor's responsibility. No, it's your responsibility. We are the people of God. 
your neighbors. God has, they're your neighbors because God is calling you to love your neighbors. Your world, God has given you burdens for our world because he, he has created you and wired you and, and created your heart to break for certain things so that you would go serve those things that are broken. God is calling you to rebuild what is broken around you. And so Nehemiah, he hears of Jerusalem's situation. He prays and he prays and he prays for four months. And while he's praying, he's preparing. God, if I get an opportunity, God, give me an opportunity to do something about this problem. God, give me an opportunity. If an opportunity comes, God, I want to be ready. And then look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in the month of Nisan, this is four months after chapter 1, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, Nehemiah, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. He says, then, Nehemiah says, well, then I was very much afraid. Now, this is the moment that Nehemiah has been praying for. He's been praying for an opportunity to speak to the Persian king about his burden for his people. And the king notices that he's sad, which is kind of a dangerous situation. This is why Nehemiah is like, he says, I, I was afraid, because you don't want to be sad in the king's presence. I mean, that, if you've read the book of Esther, you know that can be a bad news if you're sad in the king's presence. But the, the king notices that Nehemiah said, sad. He says, Nehemiah, why are you sad? And Nehemiah's like, he was a little afraid, but he also knew this was my opportunity. The king just asked me what's on my heart. I'm about to tell him what's on my heart. And he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. He's kind of buttering the king up before he asks for something. This is a good strategy, right? And let the king long <laughs> live the king. He says, why should my, not my face be sad? when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. He says, my city is destroyed. That's why I'm sad, king. It says, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So this is the moment that Nehemiah has been praying for. The king says, okay, you're sad about your city. The walls have been destroyed. What, what do you need? And Nehemiah says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I love this. He's been praying for four months. Long prayers. Chapter 1 is almost entirely a prayer, but then chapter 2 has this little tiny, so I pray to the God of heaven. God loves long prayers, and he loves quick prayers. And Nehemiah throws a really quick one up right before he says to the king, if it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in your sight, will you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's grave, so that I can rebuild it? You see, Nehemiah knew what he wanted to see happen. And when he was asked, he was ready to share his vision. So this is the first, this is the, this is the second thing I want you to see in getting to work to rebuild what is broken. You need to have a vision for what it looks like, for whatever it is you want to see rebuilt, be rebuilt. You need to have a vision. Now, I know the word vision and words like visionary have been so overused in church and business environments in the last 30 years. You work for a company, you couldn't even, you're like, I think they gave me a PowerPoint one time about our vision statement for our company. And you're like, I, what is that? Or, you know, when somebody calls themselves a visionary, you're like, isn't that code for just being some self-important CEO? You know, what, what does vision and vision, what is all, like, we can hear that and it just becomes noise to us. But in what vision is, according to the book of Nehemiah, is this. It's the ability to see a preferred future. It's the ability in your mind to see a preferred future for your life and for the world around you. It is the preferred outcome that you can see in your mind for an area of your life. Nehemiah shared his vision with the king of Persia. 
I want to see my city rebuilt. That was his vision. Everybody else saw walls on the ground in Jerusalem. Nehemiah saw walls built up 40 feet high. He had a vision. Nehemiah was burdened for Jerusalem, but he also had a vision for seeing it rebuilt. And listen, if you want to live a life of any meaning and any purpose, and if you want to see anything in your life rebuilt, you need a vision. You have to have a vision for what it is you want to see in your life. What do you want your marriage to be? What is it that you want your marriage to be? What is your vision for your marriage? What kind of relationship do you believe is possible with your spouse? What is your vision? Do you want to be the couple that still holds hands and plays pranks on each other when you're 90 years old? That's my vision for my marriage. I, want, like, I just want us to still be having fun 50 years from now. What's your vision for your children? What do you want your children to become? Do you want them to be kind and compassionate and smart? Do you want them to grow up loving Jesus and loving his church? What kind of friendships do you want in your life? Do you want friendships that pull you down or do you have a vision for friendships that lead you to Christ and build you up? What kind of vision do you have for your career? What kind of vision do you have for your finances? What kind of vision do you have for your health? What kind of person do you want to be? Have you ever even considered this? What is your vision for who you want to become? Do you want to be a person who is loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and gentle and self-controlled and good? Or do you want to be someone who's angry and bitter and harsh and cynical and undisciplined and anxious? What is your vision for your life? What is your vision for your faith? Do you want to be someone who knows the scriptures deeply? Do you want to be someone like what Charles Spurgeon says, when you get cut, you bleed out the word of God? Do you want to be someone who has a deep prayer life with God and an unshakable faith? Or do you just want to skim along the surface of your spiritual life and never experience God in his fullness? What is your vision for your spiritual life? What is your vision for your building? What's your vision for your block? What's your vision for your neighbors? What is your vision for the neighborhood? Have you ever considered these things? Do you have a vision for the life that God has given you? What is your vision for your life? What is your vision for our church? What do you believe is possible in Bay Ridge and Sunset Park, Brooklyn through Crossroads Christian Church? What kind of people, when you close your eyes, what kind of people do you imagine walking through the doors of this church? What kind of relationships and conversations do you imagine happening in our growth groups and in our communities and in our discipleship groups? What kind of prayer? prayers do you see us praying on Wednesday mornings in our prayer group? What kind of dreams do you envision us dreaming? What kind of building do you envision us worshiping in one day? Amen? How do you envision our church serving this city? What is your vision for this church? Vision is the ability to see a preferred future. What is your preferred future for your life? Nehemiah's vision was a 40-foot wall that was two miles around the city of Jerusalem that protected his people from their enemies, removed their shame before the nations, restored their joy, and brought glory to their God. Rebuilding first requires vision. Look at verse 6. It says, And the king said to me, the queen was sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So the king is giving him permission now to go to Jerusalem. His prayer has been answered. But now look at this. Look at how prepared Nehemiah was for this moment. He was, pre he was prepared for the moment that he gets greenlit to go back to Jerusalem. 
He says, so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. He said, it's going to take this long. Is that cool? King says, yes. He says, all right, I'm going. And I said to the king, verse 7, if it pleases you, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah said, if my vision for Jerusalem is going to happen, I need this amount of time. I need to talk to these specific people. I need exactly this much lumber. And if I want lumber, I need to talk to this dude, Asaph, who has the lumber, and I need to get it from him. And I need to build a house in the city, and I need to get to the city, and we need to rebuild the walls. Nehemiah was ready. He had a vision, but he also had a plan. And it says, verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem and I was there three days. And then I arose in the night with, and I and a few men with me. Verse 13, I went out by night. And then a little later it says, I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. So Nehemiah tells the king, I got to do all these things to get to the city. And when he got to the city, he inspected the walls, he assessed the damage, and he took inventory of what they had. And he makes a plan. That's another thing you need to understand when you're rebuilding in your life. If you want to rebuild your marriage, if you want to rebuild your life, if you want to rebuild your faith, you n not only do you need a vision, but you need a plan. Vision is great. You've got to have vision. But vision without a plan is worthless. Vision without a plan is called wishful thinking. You know? <laughs> if you notice, Nehemiah, he had a vision to see the city of Jerusalem rebuilt, but it wasn't merely wishful thinking in his heart. He had a real plan. First step, and he was ready to tell anybody this plan. First step, he had to get permission from the king. So he prayed for four months for that opportunity. The very second he got that opportunity, he immediately had a list of things to ask the king for. The walls to be rebuilt, I need this much time, I need to talk to these people, I need this much lumber, and I need to go straight to the city. And when I get to the city, I need to humble myself, listen to the locals, inspect the walls, assess the damage, take inventory of what the people have and what they don't have, and make a plan so we can get to work. Vision is easy, planning is hard. This is why so many visions die before they ever get started. The first step in making a plan is to assess the damage and to make him take inventory of what you have and what you don't have. This is always the most painful step. This is always the most painful step because it requires submitting to reality. Nobody likes submitting to reality. If you've ever tried, decided to take control of your finances, maybe this has been you before, and you decide to do our financial peace class, or you get a financial planner, and you sit in front of a financial planner, and he says, okay, show me your credit card debt, and tell me what your budget is. And you're like, Ugh. And he's like, that's not good, you know? <laughs> and he's t you're like, oh, it's painful to take inventory, right, and assess the damage. And he's kind of like, that's an unwise purchase, that's an unwise purchase, you don't need that subscription, you don't need that, and you're like, oh, this is so painful. But you have to assess the damage before you can make a real plan. If you've ever decided to get healthy, it's painful to set, step on the scale in front of your new trainer, okay? You know what I mean? You've been there? You're like, all right, the trainer, he's going to judge me, you know, uh, heavyweights, get on the scale. No, get off the scale. You remember that? Okay. If you've been, that's painful if you've been trying to rebuild a broken marriage. It's painful to be honest about the pain that you've, actually, you've caused in your marriage. It's painful to admit the mistakes you've made and the places you've fallen short and the damage you've done. That's part of assessing the damage. If you want to make a plan, you've got to assess the damage. 
it's been painful as the pastor of this church over the last several months to assess the damage that COVID has done to our congregation. Going down the list, taking inventory. What's the damage? These, this many people have moved away. Our finances, this is where we're at. Who's moved away? Who have we not heard from in a while? Who's hurting? Who's lost someone they love? And listen, it would be so much easier for me to just bury my head in the sand and hope that the problems go away and everything just goes back to normal. But guess what? That's not going to happen. And the only way for us to get back to normal is to assess the damage, make a plan, and get to work rebuilding. The first step in rebuilding is assessing the damage, taking inventory, and getting started. And that's what Nehemiah did. He assessed the damage, he took inventory of what they had, and then he took the next step, which is to make an actual plan. So I'm running the New York City Marathon, Lord willing, in, in this fall. And so when I got my acceptance into the race a few months ago, anybody ever run New York City Marathon here? Andrea's done it, anybody? Um, when I got my acceptance into the race a few months ago, first thing I did was I made a goal for myself. I'm not going to tell you what my goal is. That's for me. I have a vision for the time I want to run and the place I want to achieve, where I want to place in the race. And I took my goal. I wrote it down. This is the time I want to run. I want to finish in this. I want to finish around this area. I want to finish in this place or whatever. And what I had to do, I took my goal. The next step then is to assess what it is I'm working with. Okay, what's my current fitness? What, uh, what injuries am I prone to when I train for a marathon? What is my work and family schedule in the coming months? That'll affect the plan I can make and what kind of training I can do. I have three kids. I can't run twice a day. I wish I could. That's what I did on my sabbatical. It was awesome, uh, but I can't do that anymore. So I make a plan with all the limitations that, that are in my life. I make a plan. I took my vision. I took my goal, and I work backwards. I go, this is what I want. What steps do I have to take to get there? I work backwards. If I want to run this time, then I need to run these workouts and these long runs, and I need to stay injury-free. So I need to run these workouts, but I need this much rest and recovery so I don't get hurt. And so I made an 18-week training plan, and I have submitted myself to the plan. My coach helped me make it. And if all goes well, I'll reach my goal on November 7th. That is what it is. I made a plan to achieve the vision that I have. What good would a time goal be if I didn't have a plan to get there? You know what I mean? I could say, oh, I, I want to make the Olympics. Great, all these people just made the Olympics. A lot of people want to make the Olympics, right? We all were sitting there with our ice cream this week going, man, I'd like to be in the Olympics. That'd be awesome. Well, if you want to make the Olympics, you have to make a plan, and it's not eating Haagen-Dazs at 11 o'clock at night. That's not the plan. If you, if you have a vision, you must have a plan to achieve that vision. What is your vision for your life? Great. I, I would love to hear about it, but I also want to know what your plan is to achieve that vision. You say, I want to have a healthy and fun marriage 40 years from now. Great. How do you plan to make that happen? What are you going to do today? And what are you going to do next month? And what are you going to do next year to make 40 years from now be the joy that you want it to be? What is your vision for your kids' lives? Do you want them to be compassionate and smart and committed to knowing Jesus and loving the church? That's a great vision. What is your plan to make that happen? Is it make it, well, uh, you, you have a vision for your spiritual life. You say, I want to be patient and joyful and self-controlled. I want to have a deep knowledge of the scriptures and a, a rich prayer life. That's a great vision. What is your plan? A plan, listen, a plan doesn't necessarily guarantee success. But a lack of a plan almost always guarantees failure. 
You will never drift into spiritual growth and into maturity. You will never drift into a healthy marriage. You will never drift into healthy relationships. You will never drift into a fully lived, spirit-filled life. It takes intentionality and it takes a plan. What is your plan? Nehemiah had a plan and he was ready to implement his plan and when he was ready to implement it, he gathered the people of Jerusalem and he said to them, this is verse 17, and he, when he says them, he's referring to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were there to do the work. He said, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. He defines reality for them. And now he shares his vision and his plan. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. In Hebrew, that's translated as, let's go. And it says, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah defines reality for his people. He says, we're in trouble. He shares the vision and he shares his plan. We're going to rebuild the wall. And we're going to bring honor to the name of our God and we are no longer going to be in shame. And he invites them to partner with him and with God. He says, look, you guys, God has been in this from the beginning. He has called me to this, and, he's and I am inviting you to partner with me and partner with God as we rebuild the walls. And what do they say? They said, let's go. Let's rise up and build. And they strengthened their hands for the good work. Listen, if you want to rebuild your life, you've got to invite other people along. Nehemiah never could have built that wall alone. I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen the walls. Not Nehemiah's walls. They got torn down again, okay? Uh, but I've seen the, the, the city of Jerusalem. Nobody could do that in one, uh, by themselves. But with a team, Nehemiah was able to do it in 52 days because God's hand was on them. And if you read chapter 3, it's pretty awesome. It just describes all the people that were a part of the rebuilding process. Listen, if you're trying to rebuild broken walls in your life, if God has given you a burden and a vision for your life, you cannot do it alone. You need good, godly, supportive, encouraging people alongside you in the journey to strengthen your hand for the work that God has called you and to help you. You cannot rebuild a broken life in your own strength. You need the hand of God and you need the people of God. And it says they strengthen their hands for the good work. I love that phrase. And maybe that's our motto for this next season of our church that we're going to strengthen our hands for the good work that God has given us. I said last week that Nehemiah is a pretty impressive figure. Through his leadership, he led the people of Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and restore their lives. But there's two things we need to always keep in mind as we read the book of Nehemiah. The first is that everything Nehemiah accomplished was done through the power of God's hand on his life. God was the one who rebuilt those walls. And he is the one who will rebuild your life. The second thing we need to know as we continue to read through Nehemiah is that what Nehemiah accomplished through the power of God is a shadow of what Jesus is, has, and is accomplishing in this world. Nehemiah had a burden and a vision and a plan to restore the people of God and the city of God. And he rode into Jerusalem on an animal to make it happen. He, and he gathered a group of people together to carry out this vision and this plan. Even more so, Jesus had a burden for you and for me. The scriptures say that he looked over the city of God 
and he wept because we were like sheep without a shepherd. And his heart broke for us because we were living our lives apart from him and he knew that we, what awaited us was death and judgment. And so Jesus, he had a vision for our resurrection and he had a plan for our redemption. And he went into Jerusalem with a vision and a plan. His vision was to see us resurrected. His plan was to die for us and defeat death so that death would no longer have dominion over us. He was burdened by our sin and our shame. He had had a vision for our resurrection. And so his plan was to die our death so that we could have his life. He had his body broken so that ours could be made whole. And I love that after the resurrection, Jesus, like Nehemiah, pulls his disciples together. And he says to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He says, I have a, there is the, my salvation, the good news of my salvation needs to go to all the world. And they're like, okay, Jesus, how are you going to do that? He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, and you're going to do it. And I'm going to ascend to heaven and sit down at the right hand of the Father. I'm going to send the Spirit, and you're going to go out and do it. And they're like, really? And he says, just wait. And God sent the Spirit upon the people of God and a small group of people in Jerusalem at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and they began proclaiming the good news of the resurrected Lord. And they took the Gospels from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to New York City eventually. The gospel made its way here, and that's why you and I are here, because the people of God were, the church was faithful in carrying out the vision and the mission that God had, that Jesus had given them. And when I say that it's time for us as a church to strengthen our hands for the good work, the good work is that God has called his church to be the ones who proclaim his salvation among the nations. And he has situated us right here in this neighborhood Who's going who's gonna to proclaim the glory of Christ in this neighborhood? The church. Which is why it's so important that we see this church built and rebuilt for the glory of Christ. God is building his church and his hand is on his people. And my question is, is will you set your hand to the good work? So, burden, vision, plan, building. Getting to work, building. As a pastor of this church, here's my burden for Crossroads. My burden is that over the last 16 months, there's been a lot of pain. We've seen a lot of people in our church leave the city, move to other places. And that grieves me. I hate losing friends, don't you? We've seen people in our church pass away from COVID. We've seen people in our church lose faith or lose hope, lose heart because this has been a hard year and they're hurting and that grieves me. We've seen, because of people moving away, we've seen very important roles in our church, serving our kids, serving our community. There's gaps that need to be filled. And because people have moved away, there are financial gaps that we don't have that if we want to do the work that God has given us, we need to, we, we, we need to recover those resources. That's my burden for Crossroads, but here's my vision. My vision is that God will rebuild us. 
And, then, and it's not about getting back to the size of the church we were. It's about getting back to the mission that God has set before us, to know Christ through the Scriptures, to grow together as a family, and to make disciples in our community. And listen, we're not just going to survive COVID, but we're going to thrive through it because God has given us a command to go and make disciples in this city. And my vision is that we will continue to do that. We are wounded, we are, we are crushed, but we are not destroyed. We are hurting, but we are not out of it. God has a vision for our church, and I believe that vision is for us to continue reaching people for the glory of Christ. What's the plan? The plan is for us to grieve together the losses, but for us to get to work rebuilding. And that looks like if you're not serving in an area of our church, we've got ways that you can serve our city or serve the people in our church. And when you walk out, there's the next steps table, right? You can get, how can I serve this church? That's the plan. Get involved in a growth group so you can minister to the people in our church that are hurting so that they can know you and so that they can come alongside you in your life. That's part of the plan. Let us rise and build. Last week I talked about the burdens I had for the church. I got a text message from a woman in our church who's been watching online, live stream, and she said, hey, Pastor Will, can't wait to be back in a few weeks. She said, but I'm all in. I'm going to get to work rebuilding. She said, I'm strengthening my hand for the good work. My question for all of us today is, are we going to strengthen our hands for the good work as well? Who is in? Who's with us? You know what I mean? Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you gave Nehemiah a vision and that he was able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But God, so much more, we thank you that you had a vision for our redemption. But not only did you have a vision, but you had a plan, and your plan was to send your son into the world, born under the curse of the law, so that he could redeem us from the curse of the law, so that we could receive adoption as sons and daughters. We are here today, God, because you had a vision for our redemption, and your plan was to send Jesus to redeem us, and he did. And God, now your plan is that you've called your church, your people, to proclaim the glory of Christ wherever you've placed us, God, and you've placed us here in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. And if we want to be faithful to the calling that you've given us, it is to take what we've been given, the salvation of Christ, and to give it to our neighbors. And so, God, would you strengthen us for the good work of making your name known in this city? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.